0: You're listening to the Flying Goat Farm Podcast with your host, Lisa Check. This podcast is for people who love yarn and fiber and sheep, who love to knit and crochet and maybe even felt. We will be talking about the crossroads between keeping sheep and goats, making yarn, and expressing your colorful self. It's, um, day 97, since the stay-at-home orders came into effect for the pandemic, And pretty much we've been staying close to home. We've been going out every once in a while to go grocery shopping, restock the wine, maybe go and get some things from Home Depot. Um, But basically, we're here on the farm. The raspberries are starting to come in and the blueberries are starting to come in. So that's kind of exciting. And as far as the animals go, everybody's um, kind of laying low because it's been kind of hot and muggy. um, And we've had some showers and that kind of thing. And so the sheep and the goats are under the overhangs, um, trying to keep dry and just um, having a wonderful time. Today, we're going to be talking about um, farm yarn. And this is um, near and dear to my heart. Um, When I first started thinking about having the the sheep and goats, were so mostly the goats first. I really wanted to um, be able to make my own yarn that I could use for weaving, and so it, this has always been in the back of my mind. As years went on, and um, I was overrun with too much mohair, and you don't want everything to be mohair. So then we got the sheep, and so then now I have wool yarn, I have mohair yarn, and I have a combination of the two. So today, I want to talk to you a little bit about what goes into making a farm yarn. First of all, you need to grow the fleeces, right? So the sheep get sheared once a year, so they grow their fleeces for an entire year. So our Cormo sheep, they're fine wool sheep, and they have a pretty short staple length. So in one year, it's going to be three to four inches long. Um, But there's going to be a lot of it. And it's very, very fine. With the BFLs, they grow longer. It's more like five to six inch staple length. And um, it's not quite as fine. It's also very crimpy. And then the hybrids that we have. So I crossed the BFLs with the Cormos. So they have a combination fleece. So it's it's longer staple length. So it's about four to five inches. And it has the fineness of the cormo. It's fantastic. But to, in order to have good yarn, you have to have good fleeces. So it's a consequence of good nutrition, first of all, and good health practices. Um, There can be breaks that happen in the fleece if your animals get stressed and they can get stressed by having parasites, which is a big problem here on the East Coast. Not so much in the West because it's much drier out there, Um, but they can be stressed by parasites. They can be stressed when they get pregnant and if they don't have good nutrition Um, and sometimes they're stressed with animal attacks. We were um, sharing at a farm in Virginia, a Merino farm. And this gorgeous fleece. It was like a beautiful chocolatey brown merino fleece to die for. And so we were going through it, we were classing it. And, you know, when you class it, you're looking for length of the staple length and you're looking for strength. And there was a definite break all through this fleece. And so we asked the shepherd, well, you know, what happened to this animal? And apparently it was attacked by. Um, bald eagles, of some sort. I think they were bald eagles. They're eagles or hawks. So, and this animal practically died, but she was able to um, to save it. But what happened is, with, because the animal was so stressed by loss of blood, by having, I think there might have been some infections in the wounds or something awful like that. Um, so, um, during that time, the fleece stopped growing. And so you had a definite line where it was a break. You had good fleece and you had good fleece. And in the middle, there was like not good fleece. And so with that fleece, mostly those have to be trashed or turned into compost um, because they're too short to be go to the mill. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So you need to make sure that your animals are well fed, that you're checking them for parasites. That you make sure that they are guarded by something, whether it's an electric fence, um, good fencing, dogs like what we have. Um, some people have long, um, guard llamas. Um, some people have guard donkeys. Um, so, something that's going to guard them from um, attacks. And then there are some shepherds who cover their coats or they put or cover their flee- fleeces, a coat, their sheep. Um, we've tried that. Uh, I have every size imaginable of uh, sheep coats. The problem is, is that they're either too big or too small. When you first put them on, they're too big. And so then you try to um, scrunch up the fabric, put in a tennis ball, you know, surround that with elastic so it will stay in place. Um, Somehow that tennis ball gets released and they get a a foot through the neck hole. Um, It's really hard to keep them in the right coats. And then once they get past that level where, yeah, now it's the right size, it only lasts for a little bit of of time because the whole point is that the sheep are getting bigger as their fleeces are getting bigger, right? And so um, there comes a time when it's just too tight and then you have to go to the next size and start the process all over again. Um, That's why those the covered fleeces that you find for hand spinners are, you know, really expensive and they're worth it because that shepherd has been out there every day, probably making sure that the, that, that, the coats are on properly, that there aren't, um, slashes in the side where they have, you know, gotten caught on a piece of wire fencing or something like that. So it's a, con- that is a constant process. So if you are a hand spinner, look for those covered fleeces, cause you will love them. The covers keep the veg matter off. Um, keeps grain out of there, um, keeps the the fiber more white because they're not, you know, sitting in the dirt, obviously. Um, so they're really worth the time and effort. Um, we, like I said, we tried doing it and in the long run, I felt that, Hey, I'm making all of this into farm yarn anyway. So, um, it's going to be going through the the whole mill process, so it's not worth my time and effort to go and keep those covered when the process that I'm going to put it through is going to clean it up adequately. So the next step after you have those gorgeous fleeces is to shear them. And I and I did say that the sheep grow for one year. Most most sheep, it's uh, they get sheared once a year. The goats get sheared twice a year. Um they grow fleece much f- faster than the sheep do um and cashmere goats they get combed out they're not sheared, and that's because they have um the, the the cashmere is actually a a downy undercoat under like a coarse hair, a coarse guard hair, and so they grow grow, grow, grow this downy undercoat and then When they no longer need that extra warmth during the wintertime, the fibers release themselves and then you can go in and comb it. It's um, it's not always that easy. Um, The combing is very it takes a lot of exertion to comb out the cashmere and you have to do it over um, many weeks to get a good amount of this of the cashmere off of them. So during shearing, we have a team. So we have um, the shearer there, of course. We have somebody that's there managing the sheep, like going and getting the sheep out of the pins, um, putting them on halters, waiting for the shearer to be done with the sheep she's working on right then, and then transferring that the finished sheep back to the pins or outside. Then we have somebody that is um, working the floor. So they have a broom and they are um, moving the parts like there's parts that the shearer throws out things like the the wool that's on the belly. And sometimes the wool that's on the top knot is not very good. It's kind of short. It's pretty dirty. Um, So those things, um, she'll throw them out. And so the sweeper gets manages those and puts them in the trash can. And then there's a person that's the skirter and that's usually me and in our operation. And so when she, when the shear is done with that animal, I go, I scoop up the fleece, I put it on the skirting table and I do what's called table skirting at that time, which means that I'm going to take off all the nasty bits. I'm going to fluff up the, um, the fleece to get out like second cuts and little, pieces that um, are just, you know, two little bits that shouldn't be in there. And sometimes at that time, I will also take out some of the parts that are pretty um, dirty that are going to be really hard to get out in the processing. Typically down the down their spine is where a lot of like veg matter will will accumulate. And so typically I will take out that, maybe two, two inches down the spine area um, and throw that out as well. And that's just to make it so that um, I have a better outcome when I have it processed. And I should say we do have a shearer. Um, I use Emily Shemlin. She is fantastic. We've used her since we first started um, and she's just so she's fast. She, she does, she, It takes about five or six minutes per sheep. She takes longer on the goats because they have horns um, and they are um, more wrinkly. So they take a little bit more time. Um, We did go to shearing school. Um, The year that I found Emily, we went to shearing school. Um, I did a half of a sheep. I couldn't do it. Bill did two and a half sheep. The day that I did the half sheep, the first day I came back home And I got on the computer and I I found a page that had um, because we only had the mohair goats at the time. So I found the the um, website for the Angora goat breeders. I emailed everybody in our area and said, what shear do you use? Because I knew I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. And that's how we found Emily. And that was um, 15 years ago. Um, So that's. That's who we use and we really love her and she does an excellent job. So next is processing those fleeces. So after they come off the skirting table, I put them into bags. And at this point, I've got bags that, these are the mohair fleeces, these are the Cormo fleeces, these are my hybrid breezes, uh fleeces, and we have one colored sheep and her name's Henrietta. And so she gets her, her, her fleece gets her own bag until I can accumulate enough years worth or, or find some other fleeces that are colored fleeces that I can put, put those into a a mill run. So the next step, if you were going to buy a fleece from me or someone else is to wash and card and comb the fleece. And you can do this yourself, um, or you can send it to a mill. So at this point, because we have fleeces from 23 animals, um, I take that back. We have fleeces from 23 sheep and seven goats. So that's 30 animals. So at this point, um, I send it to the mill. So um, the fine wool fleeces, those cormos and cormo crosses, they have a lot of lanolin in them. And they're really hard to get clean, um, especially if you're doing it yourself. Um, And that's another reason why I send to a big mill. And um, at the mill, you can choose whether after it's cleaned, if you want to have it carded or combed. Um, The carding makes a really nice roving. Um, It is when you basically they run it through this machine that has um, has uh, prongs on it that is kind of like um, like a dog brush. And it's on a big drum and a big circular drum. And then they pull that off into like, um, into big ropes and it's called roving. And in, when they're carded, all the fibers are not necessarily going all the same way. They're more jumbly. um, And that's the first process. Um, If you're going to be selling or, doing this yourself and you're going to be spinning, then making it into roving is perfectly fine. If you're going to be um, making it into yarn um, through a mill, then you want to have it combed. So combs are another step after the carding. So they go through um, another process where they, the instead of looking like dog brushes, kind of uh, with metal kind of prongs then it's going to go straight up and down like um the metal pieces go straight up and down like a comb for your hair and they run the fle- the roving through that and what that does is that it aligns all of the fibers into one so they all go the same way and so then when you're going to then spin that on um on a in a mill and a mechanical spinner if they, you will have a really nice yarn that will be all aligned and smooth. Now, of course, you can get that roving, or you can get that um, that comb top, and you can spin your own yarn. And I do do that for myself for fun. Um, but when I have a hundred pounds clip of a clip, I then send that comb top that I've just made into a different mill and I have them make it into yarn for me. This has taken me a long time to get that process down. And I found that um, I liked one mill for the way that they made that the the way that they cleaned and carded and combed, but I didn't like how they spun things. And um, at the other mill um, they, I like how they spin. And so it just, but they don't have, the, the combing equipment. So that's why I send it to two, two, two different places. So in the spinning of the yarn, there's a lot of creativity that you can have with this. Um, and this is something that you can work on in conjunction with the person at the mill. So you have to decide how many plies is it going to be? Do you want to have a single ply? Do you want to have it to be a two ply or a three ply, or even more than that, if you want a cabled yarn, if you want to have some kind of novelty yarn, do you want it to be thick and thin? And then how big do you want the skein to be? Typically for us, we keep it to a four ounce skein. It just makes it easiest for for me to keep it straight in my head. And then the yardage changes depending on how thick it is. And what I found is that the fleeces and the way that the comb top is really tells you how that yarn is going to be spun. The mill person can tweak it a little bit here and there, but if they really push it out of alignment with what it wants to be, then you're going to be really unhappy with the results. Um, So for an example of that would be um, if So I wanted to have a yarn that was um, a sport weight yarn. It was made, it wasn't carded at this, it was carded into a roving, sorry, but it wasn't combed. And I asked the mill to make it into a sport weight yarn. And when it came back, it came back as a fingering weight and it was really, really overspun. I took that same roving to a different mill And I said, you know, I want something thicker. I think I want a bulky because I don't have anything that's bulky. I have a lot of worsted. I've got some DK. I would really like something bigger. And when I got it back, it was was still a a worsted that it, it because the, The staple length was maybe a little bit too short or something like that. It just wasn't, she wasn't able to make it into the bulky that I wanted it to make. And if she had pushed it to be the bulky that I thought I wanted, then it probably would have not been a successful yarn. So really, you need to find a mill operator if you're going to be making farm yarn. You need to find somebody that really knows their machinery, really knows yarn, really knows fleeces, really knows um, just how how to push things and when to stop pushing. So the costs of farm yarn. So the whole point of selling the yarn is that that's what we use to, to then pay for feed and to pay for health that goes into the flocks that goes into the to the good fleeces. Right? It's like a, this a circle, a circle of life. So each scan you buy, it buys hay, it buys grain, it maybe buys medications. Thankfully, we haven't had to have a vet for a couple years. So for us, it hasn't had to pay for a vet, but other people, it might. And each step that goes into that chain that I just talked to you about, from shearing to washing to spinning it to hand dyeing it, each of those is a cost to the farm. Each of those we are paying to have completed, whether we're paying in labor and time or whether we're paying actual cash. Um, there's a great article in, in Taproot magazine that A Wing and a Prayer wrote, the woman who owns A Wing and a Prayer Farm, um, that she, where she really down to the penny looked at what it costs to make a skein of yarn at her farm. And she looked at, um, how much feed, well, she, first of all, like how much the animal cost it, when she first bought this animal, um, how much feed it was per year, um, how much they used in, um, in like medications or vet visits and that kind of thing, um, she looked at the shearing costs. She looked at the skirting costs. She looked at, you know, driving it to the mill. So there are all the, the gas costs involved. She was paying um, herself or her family or another person, $15 an hour to do certain things like making the skeins, um, labeling the skeins, dyeing the things, you know, dyeing the skeins, everything she was paying. You know, calculate it. Put in a cost for every single thing, and her cost per skein was twenty-two to twenty-three dollars per pound. And that's not right. Twenty-two to twenty-three dollars per skein, and then she said, "Okay, so then the wholesale price would be like forty-four dollars a skein. That's the wholesale price, and." The retail price then should be $88 a, a skein. That's kind of hard to swallow. I don't know of any, any knitter who would buy an $88 um, skein of yarn. So, you know, I know for myself that I don't include labor costs, but I probably really should. I don't really include the costs of like the dye, that I use or the energy that I use to heat the water, um, or, um, what else I don't, I, I pay myself for the fleeces, um, the, you know, my business pays the farm for the fleeces. Um, and so I, I have made it so that at least my farm yards are, you know, within the realm of possibility. They're a little bit more expensive. They are 27 to $32 per skein. Um, but they all, you, know, you should feel good about that because they are, you know, all that money is going back into feeding those animals. So that when you buy any any farm yarn from any farm, just know that you're supporting the sheep and the goats um, on the farms in a very real way. So, and each wool has its use. So in America, we have gotten so spoiled. We want everything soft, soft, soft. People pick up a skein of yarn they put it on their neck. They put it on their faces. Um, they want it to be really soft, no matter what it is that they are wanting to make. Some things that you're making, you don't want soft yarn. You, you want to have something that is more durable you want to have something that will last a long time. You want something that's not going to pill on you. Um, and so there are you know hundreds of breeds of wool. There are hundreds of uses for that wool. Um, some wools are coarse wools, some wools are mediums, and some are fine wools. And the next time that we get together, I'm going to talk about the different classes of wool and just what they're good for. The things that, you know, if you're wanting to make um, a really um, nice outerwear sweater, what kind of fleece should you look at? What kind of farm yarn should you look at? What kind of ply should you look at? That kind of thing. So we'll be doing that next time. And I hope that you do join us for the next podcast. In the future, upcoming episodes, like I said, I'm going to talk about some breeds next time and what items are best to make from them. We'll talk about farm yarns and how they work with different stitches, such as lace stitches or cable stitches or drop stitches, um, and what you should look for in farm yarns if you want to do some of those fancy things. And I'm also going to talk about how to substitute yarn, especially when you're using farm yarn with some small mills, it's really hard to get right exactly on the standard weight, like a DK or a worsted, you know, when mine come back from the, from the mill, they're like heavy DK, light worsted, they're on a continuum. So we're going to talk about, you know, how do you figure out if, okay, I want to buy your farm yarn. You've convinced me I want to buy it, but now how do I put this into a pattern that is calling for a DK? And you're saying that this is a heavy decay or how do I put that into um, a, a pattern that's calling for worsted. And you're saying that this is, you know, a light worsted or a heavy decay. So we will talk about that in the future. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I hope that you have a fantastic week. Well, that's this episode of the flying goat farm podcast. If you enjoyed it, Please consider leaving a review. Have a question you'd like me to answer? Send an email to goatherd at flyinggoatfarm.com. And to see our farm and yarn and roving, check out our website at flyinggoatfarm.com. Follow me at Flying Goat Farm on Facebook and Instagram, and I'm goatherd on Ravelry. Until next time, happy making.